It is absolutely wonderful to be with you. I, I uh, was so thankful for Keith Allen last week. He, he preached and kind of started off this series. Uh, presence and power is just what we are calling it, which sounds super ominous and scary. I'm into it. Uh, presence and power. And he talked about this event, Pentecost. So if you weren't here, I believe it's already up on the website. Go to the website and listen to that teaching because it gives a really good, healthy, just jump off for what we're talking about, what this event was, what this word meant, how we arrived at this place, and where, do we, where are we going from there? Why does it inform a bunch of 21st century, modern, relatively good-looking, no, really good-looking, uh, people? And how do we think about this? And what does it mean to be a, a body of love? How did it inform Dr. King? How did it inform somebody who most of us would look at and go, oh, there's somebody, right, who made a difference in the world, right? Here's someone deeply rooted in historic Orthodox Christianity. Here's somebody who, like, his, he, he would talk about the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. He would talk about it in this robust, very, like, profound sort of way and how it informed how we thought about racial injustice, how we thought about systems, how we thought about the institution of the church and how when it is being faithful to itself and to its own doctrine, it is a force like no one has ever seen. The two people, and I mention them often, uh, and I don't mean to just prop up these leaders, they had their own issues for sure. But another, Nelson Mandela, I encourage you, go read his Easter sermon. Some people don't realize Nelson Mandela was, again, a devout Christian. He talks about the Holy Spirit and, his, and, it's, and, it's, and it's, it's a part of who he is and how he understands Pentecost and how it informed so much of the work that he did. And so what we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks, just to give you a flyover, is these two words we're going to spend some time on. The first being presence. What does it mean that, that now all of a sudden the way in which we as Christians believe we relate to God has changed? how we understand who God is, where God dwells, our interaction, our attentiveness to the love and logic behind everything. And then we're going to shift to talk about power. So what was it about, not just these great leaders or people of the faith throughout history or the great tradition uh, of the, the church leading the way and seeing beauty and love and grace and justice go forward, but what was it? What is it about doing things uh, of our own power versus the power of God? And do we really believe this sort of stuff? So I, I want to, there's this quote that's going to kind of hang over us. And I want to make sure that this is, is clear in terms of context. And it's this. Pentecost, the season of the giving of the Holy Spirit, the third person of God, is to be seen as the moment when the personal presence of Jesus with the disciples is translated into the personal power of Jesus in the disciples. It's a shift from the personal power of Jesus in the disciples, uh, from the presence to the power of Jesus in them. Pentecost signals the mode and means by which the chief executive is putting his new authority into operation. This is a shift where Jesus says, it's better that I go and be with the Father and leave you the Spirit to guide you in all the things that I've taught you and imparts the power of what Jesus was doing into each one of us, which sounds so far-fetched for those of us who, who are maybe are just exploring Christianity. For those of us who've been walking with Jesus a long time, I think we have our, oftentimes our doctrine lined up. We know what we believe. We are okay with self-identifying as a Christian. 
But we don't in any way walk in the Spirit. In fact, if we were pinned down to have to explain what that means, we would have trouble with that. That the, the, the people don't come from far and away to see what's happening inside the life of our community. And so often it's because we, we believe in some things up here and they do not trickle down into the life that we have. The two, two texts that I'm going to be squaring on is Ephesians, if you have your Bibles with you. If you don't have a Bible, I'm sorry, I don't have the, the, the lyrics. I don't have the lyrics on the screen. Uh, but if you have a, a smartphone... Uh, I just said smartphone as if that, like I was like 80 years old. No offense to 80-year-old folks in our community. Like, hey, one of those intelligent phones. Um, and you can just Google these two and they'll come right up. Ephesians 5 and Galatians 5 are the two texts I'm going to stay in for a while. Uh, and so I'll circle back to these as we go. I just, I want to identify for a minute the cultural moment where I believe we're at. Like, when we talk about being Filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. Uh, even those of you who are here and aren't Christians, the idea of like being um, dialed in to something greater and, and, and being more, maybe it's for you it's like this self-awareness, giant universal oneness, we're all one family thing. Whatever it is, I, I think that so often the cultural moment we find ourselves in is actually managing doubt. Like our propensity is more towards how do we manage our doubts? How do we manage this overwhelming sort of oppressive feeling of, of is this thing really going anywhere, i.e. life, versus walking in the Spirit? Philip Yancey says this, and he's talking about the Spirit of our age. And this isn't necessarily a, a, a cry back to good, the good old days at all. It's simply acknowledging the shift that's happened in the general consciousness of humanity. That's lots of big words. I believe it's on the screen. Eliminating the sacred, this is him reflecting on what's happened. Eliminating the sacred changes the story of our lives. In times of greater faith, People saw themselves as individual creations of a loving God who, regardless of how it may look at any given moment, has final control over a world destined for restoration. Sounds like a great thought. For some of us, you're like, yep, this is why I'm a Christian. For some of you, this is the thing you're like struggling with trying to believe and hold fast to. But this idea, I would argue for most people, seems to, to give a bit of rest. Yancey goes on. Now... People with no faith find themselves lost and alone with no overarching story or meta narrative. To regard nature as beautiful, which most people do, humans as uniquely valuable, you are a snowflake. Morality is necessary, right? We all like, don't want anyone stepping on our shoes and we can do whatever we want until someone harms us. And then we want morality. That these are mere constructs, we are told, invented to soften the harsh reality that humans play an infinitesimal role in a universe governed by chance. Any of you feel this? Any of you feel like the looming doubt of what if this isn't like walking in the spirit? Man, I'm like, is there a point to any of this? And the more and more it gets difficult, like we actually, as followers of Jesus, need to have encounters with, with God and be attentive and awakened. We can't just sort of float by on, well, culturally we're all just sort of there. I mean, maybe you can do that in a few pockets in the south in this country, but for the most part, no. 
All right? And this is, ends up being the feeling. We can't articulate to, to friends or those of you who are here who I have no faith, but to have no faith means you literally have to invent constructs for things like hope because it doesn't, nothing matters. It's all just ending over and over and over and over. Some vague sense. Woody Allen, I think I've mentioned this before. He says, you know, I don't want to live on like forever in like some sort of like in the, in the hearts of my countrymen. I want to live on in my apartment, right? Like we, we want to stay here. We want things to matter. We want things to be of great worth. We want to understand that there's something greater and beyond. And when we lose any, lose any sense of narrative, I think what happens is this crushing weight that doesn't come all at once, but slow and subtle. And so the idea of walking in the spirit, walking in the way of life, being awake and aware of the wonder and beauty and mystery in God, it's all around us. That feels so far from where we are at. It feels like nonsense, at least to me so often. It's, very, it's been a very hard thing to, to trust. God, I can walk with the God of the universe. Maybe this is just my like opiate that allows me to feel okay about going like another day. I want, before I, I begin to then ask this question, what does it mean to then to walk in the Spirit? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit of God? What does it mean to be so connected to the God of the universe that not only how could you not, you know, wrestle with despair, but you would thrive? Before I get into all this, I need to be really clear. Um, the last, this last weekend, I was in New York with my, my wife and child, and um, I was so impatient I was so, like, I want to chalk it up to, like, oh, lack of sleep and, and an annoying car ride. But when you, like, tapped me, right, like, literally imagine just, like, I wonder what's in Andrew. And you've got, like, a big Narragansett beer tap, you know, and maybe not Narragansett beer. You've got a Guinness tap. And you walk over and you shoved it into my stomach and you pulled the, the lever. Like, what came out in that moment? was impatience, anger, frustration, exhaustion. And so I want to be really, really clear. If, this, if I could give this preface every sermon, I would. Like, this is hard. And I am not great at it. And some of the other folks you see, like Sherry or Rob or Aaron, or whoever you see up on stage, like, like they're, they're, this, is, like, this is a really real moment of doubts and struggles and questions and and so often this isn't the regular rhythm of my life and yet what I'm finding by the grace of God is not oh it seems that just the things that God shares with us through Jesus about what it means to be fully alive and fully human are real it's not just a bunch of ideas I'm learning to adopt more and more and more it's that literally God is still speaking I don't know how else to say this other than to like just share, and I'm going to over the course of the series, some pretty incredible stories. And so even in the midst of days spent, like two solid days of like pull the tap, like Guinness is not coming out of this. We are looking at like Michelob Ultra. You know, like be a reference, Guinness good, Michelob Ultra bad. Y'all with me? Can I get an amen? Are you guys awake? Yeah, Michelob Ultra bad. Someone's like, no, I hate this church. Um, when you tap me, well, what comes out was not good. That even as I go through this, even as I give a bunch of principles 
and things that have been powerful for me in ways God's been like, yo, Andrew, do that. It's better. I'm like, okay. Like, even as I have grown in my understanding and others have grown in understanding of what it means to walk and live day by day in the life of God, there will be days that are awful, days that are hard, and days that, that, that I don't pay attention, and that's okay. And maybe that was the most obvious thing, but I think for some of us, I've realized this, I don't do a good job of this as your pastor, give you permission to suck. Okay? Not like, okay, like, aim at that. Okay, like, I I want you to know I acknowledge that human existence is hard. Okay. (laughs) So, walking in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, what does it mean? Like, we're aware, we we can be awake to the God of the universe. He wants to tell us things, you show us things. He's given us a way to, like, be in step with the way of life. I I first want to trace a little bit of biblical history for you really quick. And I've timed this out to about five minutes. I can do this. When the, when the scriptures begin, so the Judeo-Christian understanding of the world, our narrative, the thing that has informed all this stuff that we're talking about, it begins with the Spirit of God hovering over the waters and bringing order out of chaos. To walk in the Spirit, to be a tender of the Spirit of God, isn't just some like goosebump feeling, like, like the euphoria we feel when we do yoga. Like this is like... To be attentive to the Spirit of God is to bring life and order out of chaos. And so the Spirit is remaking things. The breath of God is in everything. And then what happens is, is these first people who have chosen the way of death over and over and over, God gives them the law, the Torah. And the law or commands for, for, for a Jew, these aren't the way we often think of laws. Like here's the thing to keep us in order. For a good Jew, and thus for a good Christian, the law, the law is the the keys of life. This is what it means to be set free. This is how we were ordered to live. Like, not ordered like commanded, though that's part of it too. Like, this is the way in which this thing was designed to sing. Sometimes we get into our head that every single person can decide their own truth and we'll all be happy. That's called anarchy and a really unhealthy version of it. Right? It won't work. Like freedom, I don't have time to get into a a second sermon on freedom. But man, we have to be careful that our understanding of what it means to bring order out of chaos and what it means to trust in God's law is this is what it, what it, uh, what it looks like for us to walk in the way of life. And this is why these commands were given. If you read through like Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you see all of this craziness. You see all of these laws that have everything to do with like how you clean up after you've used the bathroom to how you like seed a lawn, like to how you like take care of all. if your donkey falls into a pit, then do this. And you're like, what is this doing in the Bible? Right? Like this is everything that's wrong with the Bible. Someone just does the God speak to me and they open up to like Leviticus 20. And you're like, that's gross. Let's try again. But for, it, it makes sense because for the Jew, everything is connected. The Christian understanding of the world is that everything is spiritual. There is no word for spiritual in the Hebrew dictionary. Like there's, Jesus would never have talked about his spiritual life. He literally never because he didn't have a word for it. Everything was spiritual. God was all in all. Not that God was creation, but that God was through and in all creation and everything is connected. 
And so what you see happen in the beginning of the Christian story is this understanding that everything's connected and that God is going to point out and show kind of from the outside what it means to live with him. And so throughout, you see God manifesting as like a pillar of cloud or fire. So you were asking, where is God? Oh, he's right over there, like the swirling tornado. Right, in this ancient world, in this ancient humanity, God was out there and God was showing them and speaking into how they live. There's all sorts of hypotheses as to why God related to the first people like this. But in their infantile humanity, this place and the evolution of humanity, this is how God interacted through the big signs and wonders. And we get these glimpses, though, in this, it's called the Old Testament, in the old part of the story of the scripture, is that God is going to do a new thing, a new spirit. That God is going to place the Spirit of God inside of each one of you. And so when Jesus shows up, he begins, his whole ministry starts with the Spirit of God descending like a dove. And for those of you who know the beginning of the Jesus story, it exactly mirrors the story of Israel, the story of these first people, the Jews. And so you've got 12 people. Twelve disciples of Jesus mirroring the twelve tribes. Jesus goes up onto the mount, the Sermon on the Mount, to show here, here's what the heart of the law is. This is what happens at Mount Sinai when Moses goes up and then comes down with the law. He's retelling through his life. Um, People are asking, are you going to come like like you did of old? Are you going to take back Rome? Are you going to come as fire? And Jesus keeps talking about undoing the temple system. He talks about, if you obey my commands, we, God, will make our home in you. Everything is changing. And so Pentecost is the day when the Spirit arrives and we get these images that Keith talked about last night, or last week, of all of a sudden, we now can relate to God in a brand new way. That this was always the aim, that we as humanity, as followers of Jesus, as followers of the one true God, would actually have God residing inside of us. Jesus continues to talk about the old way, the old system, the old covenant. There is a new way that gets overlaid on top of the other one. And now there is a way that, 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 and then he says one of the most egalitarian things ever, like man, woman, slave, free. Everyone will begin to know and hear. It won't just be for the religious elite. It won't just be somebody coming down and telling you what it means. This is what God looks like and this is what it means to walk with God. That all of a sudden something new will well up inside of you. And so in 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? You, together, are God's temple. And so it's hard for us to think of like a, why this is that powerful. But a, a temple, and you know this maybe if you travel to, to a culture outside of your own, you walk into somebody else's holy space, even if you think it's all BS, you, you walk delicately. You know that for some this is precious and pristine because this is the place where pure holiness, pure generosity, pure joy, pure love dwells, or at least these people think. And so God, through Jesus, through the scriptures, is saying this whole way we've related to the, to the, to, to the God of the universe has changed, that in you, the body, are the temple. 
And it's not that Jesus changes his standards. Like all of a sudden he's like, yeah, so I'm now, I'm, I'm cool with you like, you know, being an absolute mess, right? Because he would have all these laws about what it meant to keep the temple clean so he would dwell there because God is perfect and holy and beautiful. That's why he says things, right? Like, like your, your temple is a body or your body is a temple. So don't commit sexual immorality. So don't, and he goes down these lists that we see in scripture because he's like, this is a place where where rightly ordered lives, where life is. And so he calls us to be holy. So our basic point for me, if you could take something away from this, if you've been not following this track, is that I find that most people are trying to find God out there somewhere. They're waiting for outside intervention or looking to pastors or they're looking to spiritual leaders to like, inform their faith like on their behalf like they're so often looking to other people to sort of be the 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 the, the force of faith in their life we can't live our faith through each other's faith we can't live our faith through each other's faith i was, I was at a, a a pub the other night with a friend of mine and he's moved away, he moved away a while back, and, and he was talking to me about how, man, I can't find another church like Sanctuary. And I'm like, oh, that's nice of you to say. He's like, no, like really, like my relationship with God is like really, it's like it's been hard and it's been really suffering because, because Sanctuary. And he kept coming back and telling me things like because Sanctuary. I'm like, cool, I get it. You're really grateful for us because Sanctuary. I'm like, we gotta stop here. Like what I, I realized was happening and we had a really incredible like life-giving conversation about being aware of what God is up to where he is. But that in some ways he had begun to kind of live his faith through others. Not just the joy of community, not just the celebration, encouragement of when people come together and spur one another on. That's all good stuff. Leaning on other people, that's good stuff. Moving away from individualistic faith, that's good stuff. But there are things that the church, that sanctuary ministries, that my counseling or anyone else's counseling cannot replace and that's your relationship with God please hear me if you hear nothing else your relationship with God is your relationship with God and there are things that God says and will speak and will endow you with and empower you with and encourage you with that may come through other people from time to time in fact often does but is not the same We can't live our faith through each other. The bride of Christ cannot give you what only Christ himself can. We can't get our needs met all the time through our congregation. And so often our biggest barriers to experiencing God is is a feeling that walking in the spirit or being filled in the spirit is either goosebumps and this euphoria or it's God out there and how can I get more of God in here when according to the arc of the scripture, when according to who we are now and how the spirit is acting, what we see at Pentecost, all of this is that God is in our midst and that God is in us and that in submitting ourselves to Jesus, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes crashing in on each one of us. So I want to turn, have you turn to Ephesians 5.14. Can, we, can you ask me after? Thanks. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and finds out what pleases the Lord.
have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but wise. Make the most of every opportunity, because these days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs of the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to just draw some principles from this. We can't, like, the command to walk in the Spirit or to be filled with the Spirit in this section, like, we have to actually be intentional. We live a life of such contested space that I think sometimes we're like, I came to church and I said, thank you, Jesus, and then somehow, like, by osmosis, the Spirit of God will begin to change who I am. Now, there is an element of grace. There's an element of, like, I can do nothing to earn, deserve this. But for those of us who are here who are Christians, we believe that access to the God of the universe, that, that we are just simply waking up to how things are, that Jesus is not just a great teacher, but is who he says he is. He is the, the son of God imparting to us through the spirit the life that he has with God and that we can now relate to God. We can relate to God how, how he related to God. And so we have access, but we still see Jesus, right, go away and pray. We still see Jesus practice generosity. We still see Jesus like embody, like do the things of God. And, and we, we have to realize that for us, there's an intentionality that we have to take hold of in being filled with and in walking with the Spirit. This, this you know, simple picture that Paul gives that sometimes gets used to like, I don't know, talk about don't drink too much. Like, don't be f- drunk with wine. Don't be filled with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. Like, thi- this like, it is probably the most perfect picture, which probably makes sense of why it's in the Bible. Like, how many of you have been drunk in the last week? <laughs> I want someone to be honest. Let's have a conversation. I'm going to sit on my stool. Um... I just love asking things like that that I know no one's going to answer. <laughs> yeah, me! Um, if any of you, and I've definitely never, ever been this way, if any of you have ever, I've heard, heard it said, when you are drunk, you do stupid things, saith the Lord. Some people feel more like themselves. You ever heard anyone say that? I feel free. It lowers my inhibitions. There, there is an influence... We literally use that language here, like the, when we drink. That this, it's ironically, the, they're, they're called spirits too. When we drink, we, we are caught up in, it augments, right? It, it doesn't, when you have like too many beers, you don't cease to become you. When you have too many beers, you don't become like, when you become under the, like the, the influence of this thing. But a lot of times, what starts to come out? 
all these things that are deep down inside of you. Right? To go back to our keg analogy, literally like you tap. You throw the tap right into the chest of somebody and you go, what's in there? And what comes out in those moments where we've maybe had too much to drink? This is, this is you know, your friends will go, oh, he's that. Yeah, he's a happy drunk. Like, oh, he's an angry drunk. Right? Some women are like, I never get around that guy when he's had too much to drink because he's a handsy drunk. I'm just being honest. Some of you are like, I can't believe pastor's talking about this. Do you, you live in the same world I do, right? Cool? We all on the same page? All right. Cut it out, you Pharisees. <sighs> I just want to be real. The, 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 the God of the universe says you can be filled with the holy flipping spirit. Oh my gosh, I can be governed in a regular way, on a regular basis, by the God of the universe. Like this, if, if even you are again here and, and you, you aren't bought into the way of Jesus, I guarantee you, I'll bet, you read through the Gospel of John and go through it, and you're like, that's a pretty sweet guy. Loving people, caring for the most broken, showing the way of generosity, pouring out grace and mercy on the most like out there, so dialed into his spirituality, aware that we definitely aren't just the sum of our senses. He, he dies on the cross. He, he shows us that death doesn't have the last word, that we can be free in our identity to know that we're loved, the depth of our being, we no longer have fear and death. You go through that book and you're like, I don't know about all the spirituality stuff, but that's amazing. Imagine if that could just be imparted. I don't know what that was. It just felt right. Imparted to me on a regular basis that I could be intentional in the way that I live. To, that, that when you tapped me, what came out was the life of God. How do we do this? We have to actually be intentional with the way in which we live. And we talk about this all the time. We spent a series in the book of James. Like, what are the regular things? So for some of you, when I, when I get together and we talk and we chat, right, the disciplines need to be in our engagement, right? Some of you struggle with apathy. Some of you struggle with, like, your, your life is, is menial job that you don't really like. You come home, there's Netflix binges, and maybe you see a human being maybe once or twice, and, and then you go on with your week. For, for, for you... You need disciplines of engagement. Where are you serving? Where are you loving? Do you have regular rhythms where you are in the word of God? Where you are asking what's going on inside of me? For others of you, you need rhythms of disengagement. You are scraping off the bottom. You are exhausted and burnt and tired. And the city has cast a spell on you. And all you are doing is striving, striving, striving. And you need to stop. You need rhythms of slowing down, of getting away, of rest, of Sabbath, of disengagement. We need to cultivate an environment that is, that is welcoming for the Spirit of God. We need to cultivate an inner environment that is, that is like ripe to receive the goodness, right? We know when things don't belong. If I walked into like the cheaters strip club on like a Sunday night and just got up on stage and started preaching, 
You thought I was going to say dancing. I just hugged the pole and was like, let me tell you about Jesus. One of these things is not like the other, right? Right? I don't belong. Right? If someone in the front row, even those of you, I know a lot of people in here smoke. If some of you, if, if one of you literally like sat here in the front row and you just like lit up a cigarette and just started smoking like midway through, you know, like you got your coffee, you're like, I need a smoke right now. Right? Even the other smokers in the room would look at you like, not the, not the place. Right? Like it doesn't belong. And so sometimes when we read these like sin lists in the scriptures, we need to know what's happening here. Like, you are the temple of God. He's like, because of what I have done, I have made you clean and washed you whiter than snow. I love you and I'm for you. My mercies are new every morning. Now make this a place that I can inhabit. Allow me to strengthen you to clean out the stuff that is broken and doesn't belong. This is where the spirit of God dwells. This isn't God just wanting to give us a list of stuff that is like bad for fun because he wants to ruin our fun. He's like, no, no, no. Do you know where the life and the generosity is? I mentioned Dr. King before. You know what Dr. King, one of his biggest moral failures and downfalls was? Anyone know? Women. Dude had a serious problem, cheated on his wife. Do you know that that actually undermines, for a lot of people, all the great things that he did? Because even somebody who is allowing the Spirit to work in powerful ways in parts of his life, there are other parts of our life that we need, like, that are corrupted. It, it didn't lead to life. When the church gets up, when a pastor gets up, when a friend comes alongside you and says, hey, dude, like you can't do that stuff. It's not because they're trying to ruin your fun. It's because they love you and they actually want you to live life to the, the full. We need to cultivate environments where the spirit can dwell. What are the things in your life right now that, that don't belong in somebody who is the temple of God? Where is the smoker in the front row? Where's the pastor at the strip club? I won't use that one. Create an environment where the spirit can fill. Another thing, we can't let the things that God has given us replace actually walking with him. To be filled with the spirit, right? This passage in Ephesians, that God's face would shine upon us. All these powerful images of like walking regularly with God. What I have found that can happen is that because um, the things that God's like, get, like the blessings in our life and the moments that we've had with God sort of replace an active walking with him. An active like time of prayer in the morning every morning. A time like we talked about two weeks ago of regularly saying, God, where are you at work? God, where are you at work? God, where are you at work? An example would be marriage. I think I've shared this before. My, fa my father's father, my grandpa, um, father's father is a grandpa. He used to say, well, I told, I told my wife, Alpha is her name, Wallace and Alpha. It's awesome. That's going to come back around. That's like in the next like hipster baby book name. I can feel that coming back. Wallace and Alpha Mook. Beautiful people inside. Wall <laughs> Wallace, Wallace, Wallace would say, and I would hear, I would remember this as a young boy. I'd be like, told Alpha I loved her when I married her. I'll let her know if anything changed. Right? Like he was just known. He was like emotionally just like distant and borderline abusive. And it's a really actually a sad story. But if, if for Corey and I, like we just celebrated our four-year anniversary. And it's like if for us, 
Like, when we look at our rings and we go, wasn't that a sweet day? Cool, we're married. And there was no, like, we get together and talk. Like, there was no, like, date night. There was no, hey, we should do marriage counseling again. There was no, I mean, last night we were, like, reflecting on this awful weekend I was telling you about. And just, like, like being honest and crying with one another and being like, I'm sorry I fail at this. And she's saying, I'm sorry I fail at this. And just being real about what's happening. If we didn't have these moments of cultivating our relationship, of sharing what's happening inside of our hearts, right, we can let the actual fact that we have a mortgage and a kid and we did that marriage thing one day actually replace the very relationship. Does that make sense? Christians were so tempted to do this. I come, I say I believe, I remind myself I believe, and it somehow just shifts us away from actually actively listening to the voice of God. How often in the morning do I wake up and say, God, what do you want to do with today? How often do I look back at the end of the day and ask the question, God, what have you been up to? These simple disciplines that we've returned to now multiple times since Christmas, like are these happening in your life? Asking the Spirit to search you guarding and cultivating the environment of heart in your life, like to actually say, God, will you go room to room in my heart? Go room to room in my heart and it show me what is just contaminated, what is not good, what is still water. Jesus said, I've come to give you living water. He's actually referring to the spirit. I've come to give you water that's fresh. Where's the places where you've got like that stale, stagnant water I'm mentioning all these things that for some of us may sound elementary, but it is my hypothesis. I humbly submit that most of us do not do this regularly. This is an invitation to bring beauty out of chaos. And maybe the chaos is simply your schedule. This isn't a question of whether the spirit resides in you. This is a question of do you want the spirit to have more of you? Do you want the spirit to have more of you? Do you want to drink deeper of the life of God. God's grace and mercy has been poured out on each one of us. You are a temple of God. Do we treat ourselves like a temple? We often want to look for the secret of the work of the Holy Spirit comforting ourselves both that there is a certain way of getting the spirit of God to come and move in power and comforting ourselves that our lack of experience with that power is because we haven't yet been working the formula correctly. Like if I just get the equation right, then I will like experience the Holy Spirit in my day-to-day life. I will experience the life and love and generosity of God every day. However, What the Holy Spirit requires to move is terribly simple. And this is the part that that I can't contextualize well. Crown Jesus as Lord of all of your life without holding anything back. Recognize that your identity first and foremost is underneath, not just that you are loved by the God of the universe, but that Jesus is up to something in the world. Crown Jesus as Lord In light of this simplicity, we begin to feel the real issue at hand, and that's our unwillingness to surrender. The real issue for us with walking, being filled with, being attentive to the Holy Spirit is our unwillingness to surrender. When we begin, this is on the screen, when we begin to look closer at our motives, 
we often find that we want the power of the Holy Spirit, but primarily to help us with our agenda. While the Holy Spirit is longing to give his power to those who are fully surrendered to his agenda, seeing Jesus lifted up as Lord of all. Galatians says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. In other words, if he lives in you, let him direct you. If he's alive in you, let him direct you. If you say you believe that about that, then actually begin to walk in it. This is the great like, like conundrum of our generation. I don't mean that age, like literally the time that we are at in life is more than ever because we have so much information. Forget about Christianity for a second. There's stuff that you say you believe in that you don't practice, live into, cultivate in your heart. We have access to so much. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, But if you actually like budgeted out, if you, you did a, an inventory of what's really going on in your day-to-day practices, I would bet that you believe a bunch of things about the best way to do X, Y, or Z, the best way to live, what it means to do life, what it means to eat well, what it means to pay your taxes well, what it means to not pay your taxes well, what it means about military and life, all the big things of life, you go down the line. And so much of it just stays up here in our intellect. And God's like, you can't do that with this. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in it. If we have become alive to the reality that Jesus is Lord, then there's some marching orders. And if you're not being filled with the Spirit, it's not his fault. And that's not to make us feel real bad. Again, this isn't about, I gotta come up with the right like equation. This is really, really simple. Where are the places where I just don't trust that God's way is the best possible way? Where I don't trust that his life is the life of the ages? Why I don't actually take just a minute in my day to go, God, where are you at work? I want to wake up. It's literally that simple to begin with. To trust, to trust, to trust that there's something else going on. That you don't have to create a construct for hope. That you don't have to create a construct for love. You don't have to just create some philosophical thing to get through the reality that we're just all gonna die one day and it probably isn't useless. That there's actually a narrative that there's actually truth and beauty and love to be taken hold of that isn't just universal consciousness that's actually in the form of a person in Jesus. And that that life that we can have with this God is imparted to us through his spirit. And so are we taking hold of the gift that has been freely given? Walking in the spirit means trying to keep one eye on God all the time means checking inside to see if God has dropped anything in your heart in every situation and conversation you find yourselves in. Sometimes there will be nothing and other times there will be unbelievable beauty. We cannot be consistently led or empowered by the Holy Spirit if we are continually conscious of our need to be refilled with him. We cannot be consistently led by the Spirit of God if we are not continually conscious of our need to be refilled with Him. Let us linger when He lingers and let us jump when He moves. This is actually what Dr. King speaks of. Almost that exact quote. I want to linger when He lingers. I want to jump when He jumps. I want to trust that my way actually isn't the best way. I want to trust that I can be more me, more human, more what I was designed to. 
as I recognize the fact that I have a propensity and a bent to choose things outside of life. So folks who are here and part of Sanctuary Church, might we walk in the Spirit? Might we take moments to actually say, I need to be refilled. Might we actually have regimented, scheduled times that don't ever change? I think I'm becoming like a legalist on like quiet times. Like the generation before us was like, oh man, if I just do my quiet time, then God will answer everything. And so it's like a whole generation reacted to that. and like, yeah, I don't need that. And you haven't spent time with God in days, weeks, months. Have a time. You always do it. It's really easy. Lock it in. Go. Like have a time where you're meeting together with other followers of Jesus. Even if it's just one or two of the people, if you don't know anyone in this church, there are home groups, go to one and just take time to actually say, where is God moving? To learn and begin to walk in the way of the Spirit. What inside of you, what in your own heart and in your own mind leads away from the justice and beauty and generosity and love of Jesus? What do we need to take hold of and go, God, thank you that you've forgiven me. I need to live in light of the fact that you have set me free from this. Help me and show me what it means. That coming to church and being a part of a group of people that are really awesome doesn't replace your relationship with God. We cannot be consistently led by the Spirit if we are not continually conscious of our need to be refilled In every way, St. Francis said, we must choose to live in love. It is a decision, not a feeling. Convictions don't change the world, but people who faithfully pursue and live out those convictions do. One last thing before we come to the table. In the book of of Acts, where the story of Pentecost is told, a lot of us who've grown up in churches that talked about the Holy Spirit, we want to lay claim. We want to lay claim on like different manifestations of the Spirit. Like we want to lay claim on, on different aspects of what the Spirit did. Right, I could even go around the horn. What churches in this area sort of lay claim to different aspects and understandings of what it means to walk in the Spirit. The one that people don't taint, seem to like initially uh, take to is the bewilderment of the crowd. In the story of Pentecost, the crowds are absolutely like blown away. What this world needs more than ever, what our hearts need more than ever, is a group of people, a community of people who are walking the way of their birthright. (laughs) Who are trusting that what God has said about who they are is true. So before we come to the table, what is just the one or two things, like disciplines, 
Like of all the things mentioned, maybe it's something totally different. That this week you can begin to, to live out. To trust that walking in the Spirit of God and being awake and aware of the Spirit of God is, is, is taking claim, laying hold of this, this gift that's been given. The Spirit that dwells in you. Like write it down. Put it in your phone. Get that, get that reminder on your schedule every lunch. I had a buddy who he used to just alcohol was actually the trigger. It was awesome. It's like, yeah, man, the, the spirit of God, the spirits, don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the spirit. So I, he like just really like loved to drink, loved to try beer, loved to try whiskey. Probably like four or five times a night he had a beer here, whiskey. He was a, he was a, he was a Christian drinker, good drinker. And he would just say, it was those moments, because it was such a regular thing, I realized, wow, I'm taking the time and the money to go and to like partake of this thing that is delicious and a gift from God. And there's something so much greater that I can take hold of. And so this was actually his rhythm. And so he developed this thing with his wife as they would have, you know, a couple like bottles of wine throughout the week, as they would pour wine at the dinner table. And they would just take a moment before taking a sip to say, Lord, just as we will be filled with this wine, it will fill us with joy and gladness. Lord, how much more do we want your spirit to fill us? And he said out of these like simple prayers would come conversations and disciplines and rhythms in the life of their community. Just one small move of intentionality. What is that for you this week? God is not out there. He resides in us. And pray. We pray, Lord, as we've been praying a lot lately, just pour out your spirit on us. We know that before any talk of disciplines and any talk of rhythms, any talk of lining our actions and our life up with what we say we believe, this is all gift. This is all grace. That you've sent your spirit to pour out vision and comfort, love and life and mercy. How could we not take hold of that? And so I pray for my brothers and sisters who need disciplines of engagement. There's stuff they need to do to get out of whatever rhythm is, is causing them to not be filled with the way of life, that they would, you would drop those things into their brain now. <laughs> you would make them known to them. I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, who, who need disciplines of disengagement. They need to rest. They need longer dinners with a glass of wine. They need a slower pace. They need to, to create moments that aren't just filled with work, gym, home, work, Netflix, home. <laughs> that aren't just filled with just like striving and striving and going and going. I pray that you would impart them just disciplines of, of disengagement. That they would rest Sabbath and know, Lord, who you are. And that in submitting moment by moment by moment to you, there is such opportunity to love and bless. Promptings, Lord, to, to, to live out the way of Jesus around us.